This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Last week we began a study in 2 Corinthians. Paul's uh, second letter to this church in Corinth that we have, as we saw last time, it's somewhat difficult uh, to reconstruct exactly all of the points of contact Paul had with the church in Corinth. It could well be that the letters we know as 1st and 2nd Corinthians were maybe 2nd and 4th Corinthians and what he actually wrote. Uh, again, it's somewhat difficult to piece all of that together. But at any rate, we are in 2nd Corinthians chapter 1. We'll be looking this evening at verses 12 through chapter 2, verse 4. So hear the word of the Lord. For our boast is this the testimony of our conscience that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and acknowledge, and I hope you will fully acknowledge, just as you did partially acknowledge us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. But I called God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word and that we pray for your grace as we study it. Lord, this late hour of the day, give us alert minds uh, to concentrate, to think uh, as we think about these words. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Don't you love somebody you can depend on? Somebody that you know, if they say they're going to do something, they are going to do it. They will follow through, uh, often exceed expectations. And if for some reason they don't, it's for a very good and very understandable reason. Conversely, don't you find it irritating when someone you deal with, maybe a neighbor, a friend, co-worker, whatever it might be, chronically proves unreliable to the point where you really don't take seriously what they say. When they say they're going to do something, in the back of your mind you know that it probably will not get done. Well, let's turn the tables. Are you the kind of person that people can depend on? Are you the kind of person where if you say you're going to do something, people know from your track record that you will prove trustworthy? Or are you that person that when you say you're going to do something, the person to whom you said it says, "Mm mm-hmm, and already they're working on plan B? Well, I certainly hope not. Uh, And it should, as a person of integrity, which I hope you all are, it should pain you greatly to have to come back to someone and say, you know, we made this appointment, we made these plans, I said that I would do this and I have forgotten or something has come up and I'm not able to do what I said, I'm not able to fulfill this obligation. For a person of integrity, that's a very painful thing to have to say. And yet that's pretty much where we find the Apostle Paul in this passage Uh, As you know, Paul's relationship with the church in Corinth was something of a difficult relationship. These were people whom he loved dearly, as he indicates in the passage. This was a church that he had founded. The Lord encouraged Paul. The Lord said to Paul, don't be afraid. I have many people in this city. And the church in Corinth was formed out of those elect whom God brought together and formed into this church in the city of Corinth. And yet... The church certainly had its ups and downs. Uh, It was challenged by the location, uh, their town, their city, whose very name was synonymous with immorality. Uh, The pressures that that placed on the church, uh, the difficulty that sin caused in their relationships with, with one another. But to make it worse, there were within the church and apparently outside the church also, Uh, Paul's detractors who were doing their best to sow seeds of distrust toward their founding apostle and stirring up trouble for Paul. Now, the situation that Paul describes here is difficult because, as it indicates, uh, there was some confusion about Paul's visit or lack thereof to Corinth. Uh, Paul had indicated, apparently by letter, that it was his plan to visit them, his intention to visit them, and he did not do so. And communications being what they are, it could take a long time for information to arrive. At any rate, it seems that there were those who called Paul's integrity into question. He says he's going to come to you, but he doesn't come to you. Maybe he really doesn't care about you. Maybe he knows things he has said to you are not true or accurate, and he's afraid to come to you. Perhaps all kinds of rumors and thoughts like that being stirred up by those who would seek to undermine the apostles' work in Corinth. Well, Paul has to address that. He has to pour some oil on these troubled waters, and he does that 
in the words that we have just read. No doubt painful word to have to write, to explain himself, to clarify what no doubt was disappointing not only to them but to him also. But that's what he does here. And really in a very masterful way, he clears his name with the church in Corinth. Now it seems to me as we read his words here, we we learn not only uh, about Paul's relationship with the church and Paul's own integrity as a man of God and a, a minister of the gospel, but we also learn something by his example, uh, how to deal with situations that are a little bit tricky, a little bit difficult. Maybe just the relationship is strained. Maybe the person in question is someone who we might say is a difficult person, someone we have to walk carefully around, someone we might say is a high-maintenance kind of person, and uh, things haven't gone too well, and we find ourselves having to address uh, a maybe less than desirable situation. Well, as we look at this passage, it seems to me that there are four qualities particularly that come through in Paul's dealing with the church in Corinth in this situation, difficult and touchy as it is, together with a group of people many of whom like him and trust him, but some of whom don't. Uh, And it seems we can learn from Paul's example uh, about dealing with people ourselves. So let's look at some of these qualities here in our relationships with others, and especially maybe in a difficult kind of relationship. The first thing that Paul mentions here is his clear conscience. Paul says in verse 12, For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity. Our boast, our glory is this, the testimony of our conscience. A clear conscience, a good conscience with Paul was very important to him, judging by the fact that he mentions this on numerous occasions. We can go back into the book of Acts, Acts chapter 23, verse 1. Paul is standing before the Jewish council, and he says to them, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. Uh, Unfortunately, that, that had him struck, hit by those who thought he should not have a good conscience. But Paul was able to testify that to them that, in fact, he, he did have a good conscience, a clear conscience with them. He says in the next chapter, chapter 24, uh, verse 16, he says, So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. And then later, much later toward the end of his life, as he's writing to his son in the faith and disciple Timothy, uh, he can say to Timothy in chapter 1, verse 3, 2 Timothy 1, verse 3, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. A clear conscience is something that's very important to Paul for a couple of reasons. One, just for himself personally, for the peace that that brings. Uh, for the conviction that that brings in his ministry. How much more difficult it is not only to live the Christian life, but to minister to other people if we ourselves are burdened down with a guilty conscience. Well, Paul, Paul describes his clear conscience here as his, as his boast, uh, his glory, that thing that he brings up 
first of all, regardless of, of how they respond to his efforts to restore his good name with them, he can say, my conscience is clear uh, as, as I stand before the Lord that I have not wronged you, I have not intentionally defrauded you or deceived you or led you astray in any way. So it seems to me, first of all, what we learn here is the importance of a good conscience in our relationships with other people. Um, do you have a good conscience with other people? Or are, are there people that perhaps you have wronged that you need to apologize to? Is there something that bothers you about something you said to someone? Maybe you need to go to them and, and say, I was wrong. Or, or maybe there's something about that person that really bothers you. And you need to go to that person and say, you know, when you, when you said this and when you did this, that, that really hurt. It was very hard for me. And uh, I'm having trouble with that. I would just like to clear things up between us. Uh, maybe so. Maybe they are acting toward you in a way that is ungracious or unkind. And you have to go back and say, well, have I done something that's brought this on? And maybe not. Maybe you could say, and I hope you could say, with Paul... I have a clear conscience, and that is, that is my boast. That is in, in the thing in, on which I stand, the testimony, uh, as Paul says, of our conscience that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity. So that's the first thing we learn here is the importance of having a clear conscience in the relationship before God and we trust before man. The second thing that Paul mentions here and dwells on at some length is that of sincerity in his relationship with them. What his conscience is clear about is that he did not interact with them or treat of them in any way that was duplicitous. There was no double dealing. There was no conscious intent to say one thing all the while planning to do something else. Let's look at what he says. He says, with simplicity, uh, some texts read with holiness. Um, it does seem that simplicity probably is the more likely reading here just because it seems to fit uh, simplicity rather than duplicity, rather than being two-faced, we might say. Uh, there was a simplicity and godly sincerity in his dealings with them. And he says this was so not by earthly wisdom, not by any kind of human uh, efforts to calculate, to plan out the relationship, but he says simply by the grace of God, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, recognizing that he himself is a recipient of God's grace, the humility uh, and the sincerity that that cultivates in, in the soul. Uh, this sincerity he mentions to them is evidenced by his consistency with them. Look at what he says in, in verse 13. Uh, well, the end of verse 12, he says, Not by earthly wisdom, but the grace of God, supremely so toward you. Verse 13, For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and acknowledge, and I hope you will fully acknowledge, just as you did partially acknowledge us. Uh, Paul is saying, You know that what I've written to you is, is consistent with other things that you have read, other things in me that you have acknowledged. This is no departure. Uh, I hope you will fully acknowledge, just as you did partially acknowledge us. Uh, somewhat hard to know how to take that. You know, it's kind of the 
Romans 11, 25, uh, or in Romans 11 where he says, uh, not verse 25, but earlier where he says, Israel has experienced a hardening in part. Well, what is the nature of that part or that partial? Uh, is it part of the Corinthians here acknowledge him and others don't, or that they all seem to have reservations, they don't fully acknowledge his authenticity and so forth? It's hard to know, but the point is, He says, I hope you will fully acknowledge, just as you did partially acknowledge us. And so he he points to his own past record, things he's written, what they know of him from their experience with him, that evidences his consistency. And finally, he points to his sincerity by appealing to the final judgment. Look at verse 14. That on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Now, there's a lot compressed into those words. When he speaks of the day of the Lord Jesus, he's speaking of the day of reckoning when they will uh, be together. And he says that on that day, it's his hope, it's his desire that they would boast of Paul and his companions just as he would boast of them before the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he acknowledges the fact that he will stand before Christ where everything will be made known, everything uncovered, The truth will be evident, and Paul mentions that because it's his confidence that his sincerity will be evident then, and that's why he professes it now. Remind us, I think about that, of uh, Jonathan Edwards' last sermon to his congregation in Northampton as they were removing him as their minister, but before they turned around and asked him to be their supply preacher until they found a new one. It was kind of an awkward situation, but none was to be had, so they asked him to stay on until they found a new one. But Edwards, in his final sermon to the congregation, uh, basically said, you know, we're going to stand before the judgment bar of God, and he will sort this out. And Edwards basically said that I will be vindicated. Uh, But the truth will come to light. We will stand together before the judgment of Christ, and all will be plain. Well, that's essentially what Paul is saying here, although he said it much earlier than Edwards did. Uh, Yes, you can see my sincerity, and at the very least, I appeal to the fact that we'll stand before Christ, and my sincerity, which I have a clear conscience, will be perfectly evident. So sincerity, uh, simplicity in our dealings with other people. Um, You know, if, if, if everybody dealt this way, you wouldn't have situation comedies. You wouldn't have sitcoms. Uh, Barbara and I watched a show recently, and we said, what if they just told the truth up front? I don't want to do that. Or this happened. I did this. Uh, Instead of lying. And it's not just recent. I mean, you you know, much as I love the Andy Griffith show, the the plot is usually centered on trying to cover up something or trying to to basically lie or deceive someone else uh, rather than stating the simple truth. Of course, then you wouldn't have a plot and you wouldn't have a show. So... Uh, the tension is there in trying to see if this event or whatever happened can remain covered up or hidden or disguised or the ruse can be pulled off, whatever it might be. Uh, but what if we just said what we're thinking, graciously, kindly, but, but simply and to the point uh, in our dealings with each other? Uh, there is a lot to be said for being honest, forthright, even though it may be painful, rather than giving something other than our real reason for saying yes or saying no or doing what we did, to just simply train ourselves to tell the truth. For some people, that's very hard. There is an instinct not to want to hurt the person or not to want to embarrass themselves. And so there's a tendency to maybe 
step away from the real motivation or the real reason and say something else. This is why I can't get with you. This is why I don't want to do that. When in fact, that's not really the real reason. So sincerity, uh, rather than deceit or duplicity, in our dealings with one another and with other people. Paul could say, I've got a clear conscience. My clear conscience that I have dealt with you in all sincerity, all integrity. Well, this is a third thing that he mentions here, third quality, uh, that really comes to the point of this whole tension, and that is reliability. A clear conscience, a sincerity, but also reliability. Uh, and this probably was the most painful aspect of this to Paul, uh, because I'm sure that Paul wanted to be thought of as reliable, trustworthy, someone who could be counted on, depended on, and that comes out here in this passage in a couple of ways. First of all, he takes up this whole question of his intention, his reliability. Look at verse 15. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace through, through Paul's ministry, the grace of God, obviously, but, but through Paul's work among them. Verse 16, I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia. And to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Now, apparently this did not happen, or at least not the way Paul envisioned it. Uh, It didn't work out. And so Paul says in verse 17, and and remember he's writing about a situation with which he and they were were perfectly familiar. Uh, And so we kind of have to read a little bit into what's going on here since we're outside the situation. Paul didn't have to explain it to them, but we sort of have to read between the lines and figure this out. His not appearing then led those uh, detractors to raise questions about his motivations, about his real intentions, and so forth. Verse 17, was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? In other words, was I just kind of wishy-washy? Maybe, maybe not. I'll tell you this, but eh, maybe if I can do it, I will. Maybe not. Do I make my plans according to the flesh? Uh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time. According to the flesh, um, could be in a merely human way, with the implication, you know, as Paul uses the word flesh for our fallen nature, our sin, who we are in Adam, not half of us that's sinful, but who we are as children of Adam and, and under his guilt and uh, tainted with his rebellious nature. Uh, do I make my plans this way, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? You know people like that? People who will make a commitment, and as soon as something better comes along, they say, no, i got to go do something else. You know, uh, People who cannot really be counted on. Um, you know, Proverbs, not Proverbs, Psalm 15 says, The righteous man keeps his word even to his own hurt. Uh, apparently Paul liked to think of himself as that kind of person. No doubt it pained him that he couldn't follow through on what he had planned and said he wanted to do. But he says, do I make my plans the way a lot of people do in this fallen world? Say yes, yes, out one side of their mouth, and no, no, out the other side of their mouth at the same time. Well, Paul answers it. Verse 18, as surely as God is faithful, our word to you is not being yes and no. He doesn't work that way. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. 
Now, Paul sort of jumps tracks a little bit here. Now, in verse 18, he's saying, no, that's, that's not how I deal with people. When I say I'm going to do something, it's fully my intention to do it. Not yes, yes, no, no, but this is, this is what I plan to do. Then he begins to talk about God and God's yes. Because Paul is, is, above all, is concerned for their spiritual well-being. And Paul is the, the founder of this church. For many of them, Paul is their spiritual father. And even as Paul says, you know, I make my plans in full sincerity, full purpose to do what I said, and yet I was unable to do it and made a change of plans for good reason, which he will reveal later. God doesn't do that. God never fails to do what he said he will do. Look at verse 18. So he's talked about his reliability, and he, he segues here into God's reliability. That as much as Paul wants to be depended on, God can always be depended on. And don't doubt God's word if his servant lets you down. Look at verse 19. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Now, Paul is basically saying there that while we may not always prove 100% reliable, God does. And his word to us in Christ is always yes and can always be counted on. And that's why we reply by saying amen to God for his glory. Now, amen is a curious word. Young, do Koreans say amen at the end of their prayers? I remember that. I remember hearing them pray, and I may not understand a word, maybe Hananim, Yesunim, but I always heard the Amen at the end of the prayer. It comes from a Hebrew word having to do with truth, and to say Amen is basically to say, let it be so, or may it be so, may it be so established as I have prayed. And it's pretty much a universal word. Regardless of the language, this peculiar Hebrew word has crept in, and whatever the language, people, Christians, in their prayer by saying, Amen. Amen. Uh, and Paul says we reply to God's word. Amen to God for his glory. And he goes on. It's God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us. He's kind of coming back to his own position with them, his own ministry. Uh, this God who is perfectly reliable has, has called us to you, has established us with you. He has anointed us. He's called us to this work, to this ministry and apostleship. And, verse 22, has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Now, to us here may have moved into embracing the Corinthians as well, because they too are marked with the seal of the Holy Spirit. As Paul describes in Ephesians, we read this morning, the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance uh, in Christ. God has given us his Holy Spirit. And so he kind of comes back to himself a little bit there at the end. But his argument basically is this. It was fully my intention to do what I said I was going to do when I wrote you. It didn't happen. I changed my plans. But with God, there, there's no unforeseen event or condition or contingency that arises that he in any way has to change his plans. And what he has purposed for us in Christ will never change. It is, it's secure. It's established. And the same God is the one who called us to minister 
to you and the one who has made us secure by marking, sealing us with his Holy Spirit. So reliability, obviously, is a, is a big quality in any relationship. Can we be dependent on? And there are times when, like Paul, we may, for good reason, need to change our plans because of something unforeseen or maybe another consideration or maybe simply inability to do what we said that we wanted to do. Never so with God, but sometimes it is so with us. But by and large, we want to be reliable. If it's in our power, we want to do what we said we're going to do. And then the last part here, the last quality is that of thoughtfulness of regard for the other party, the person in question. Look at what he says in verse 23. And he really gets down to what happened here. I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. Paul says in his thoughtfulness for them, our desire is for your good. It was to spare you that we changed our plans uh, for the reason he states in chapter 2, verse 1. I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. You know, it seemed, And we referred to this last time, the painful visit that apparently did not go so well. And, and Paul said, you know, I purpose to do that but that did not go well and I just decided I did not want to do that to you again now we don't have details we don't know a whole lot of what happened although the book sort of hints at some things that may have been part of what happened with that painful visit we'll look at those later but Paul's concern for their good I wanted to spare you and not only that he calls God as his witness Again, you get the sense that he's trying to establish credibility or reestablish credibility with them here. He doesn't just say, I wanted to spare you. He said, I call God as witness against me. In other words, if I'm, if I'm lying to you here, may God bear witness against me that I'm, I'm lying. It's pretty serious. But that's what he says. And he feels like he has to be that strong with them to, to emphasize to them this is the truth. But his desires for their good, his desire is that he, he not cause them pain, verses 1 through 3. I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I caused you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. Now, a little bit convoluted. What Paul is basically saying is, uh, if I cause you pain, that hurts me, and who is there to, to comfort me but you? In other words, in a sense, Paul is saying that, that my happiness rides on your happiness. And if I've caused you pain, that hurts me, and you are the ones I'm looking to, to to bring me joy, because you're firm in your faith, because of who you are in Christ. Uh, when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. In other words, that their joy would be established and built up by his joy in their midst, and, and vice versa, that his joy would be established by their joy. In other words, basically that they rejoice in each other. But if he comes and it only causes pain in them, that causes pain in him, and he just didn't want to do that again. It didn't go so well the last time. He said, as I thought about it, I, just, I did not want to do that to you. And he didn't say to himself uh, in this relationship. And thoughtfulness. He wants their good. He doesn't want to cause them pain. But most of all, 
And what he really wants to get across, and what he ends with here, is he simply, it's his desire that they know that he really does love them. Look at verse 4. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Paul wants more than anything else to know that he doesn't take them He doesn't take his relationship with them lightly. That in his communication with them, especially in these painful things, there's much affliction, anguish of heart, tears on his side of it. Uh, Not something he takes lightly. He's not being trivial with them, which is basically the word when he said, was I vacillating? Was I being trivial with you? Not really concerned one way or the other about what you thought. Uh, Toying with you might be a way that we would put it today. Of course not. There was affliction, anguish of heart, tears. He doesn't want to cause them pain, but he wants them to know the abundant love that I have for you. Thoughtfulness, a regard for the other person that's rooted in love, has to be uh, at the foundation of our relationships with other people. As we look at what Paul has to say here, as he makes an effort to to clear his name, to reestablish credibility with them, uh, he wants them to know these things. And as we see these qualities in his life, uh, it helps us, gives us an example uh, to follow, to make sure that these things are in our relationships with one another, with our husbands and wives, and perhaps especially with that difficult person that we have a hard time. And it seems like whatever we say is the wrong thing, or whatever we do doesn't go the way that we planned. Have a clear conscience before God and with them as much as possible. To act toward them in sincerity uh, and integrity. To be reliable. To be trustworthy. To follow through on the things that we say. And perhaps above all, uh, to have that thoughtfulness uh, of regard for them that uh, grows out of uh, a Christ-given love that we have for them. Let's pray. Father, we recognize that these are more than just words on a page, that this was a real man who loved this church. And these were real people in this church who were no doubt feeling many different things about Paul, and uh, some of them one way, some another, and some perhaps very mixed feelings. Uh, Father, we recognize, Lord, that it's easy to idealize what we read in the scriptures. And yet, Lord, these were people very much like ourselves, a different time, a different place, different culture, different language, uh, and yet human beings made in the image of God and yet fallen. Father, we pray that as we have studied these words, um, while Paul was not perfect, he too is a sinner redeemed by grace. We thank you, Lord, for the evident love that he had and the care that he took in his relationship with this church. And we pray, Father, that these qualities might be evident in us, uh, that you might give us grace to cultivate this kind of care and regard in our relationships with one another and with others, that we might have a good conscience before you also. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.